on today's episode of Startup Stories, I'm speaking with Jeremy Mingo, who is the founder of Rise Career Development. Uh, Jeremy and I went to college together. We talk about you know his career path post-college, how he came to start his own resume and career advice service, uh, helping people with interviews, things of that nature, and not a very traditional background from you know from his career point of view. Um, it's you know very well spoken, very very interested in what what he does and you know it ties into a lot of what i do on a day-to-day basis for my career uh, so hope you enjoy the, the conversation with jeremy welcome back to the startup stories podcast i am your host tom callahan today i am joined by jeremy mingo who is the founder of rise career development he is based in washington dc um jeremy how are you today man fresh to washington dc oh. I was going to say, very fresh to Washington, D.C. Rise has had multiple places to call home base, New York, Seattle for a little while, and now D.C. Uh, so it feels great to be back on the East Coast uh, besides these wildfires that I can't escape. So yeah. <laughs> hopefully I didn't bring them with me. So that yeah. kind of sucks. But besides that, man, I'm doing great. Yeah, they're following you from one Washington to the other Washington. Uh, but yeah, love love to talk to you, um, Jeremy and I. We went to we went to college together. We played football together. Um, hard hitter, uh, big biceps, big back on Jeremy. And uh, but um, you know, Jeremy, when you started Rise, you started about five years ago. Can you give us a little background on kind of what that is first, and then you know we can kind of go into how that all came to be. Yeah, so uh, Rise Career Development is a career coaching company I started, as you said, about five years ago. And really the whole focus with it is helping people understand how to perform a job search with intention and how to really understand how to navigate the space, the industries that they want to be in and understand how to approach those roles and opportunities. Uh, And that's through everything. Uh, As I said before, the job search, uh, resume editing and updating, uh, and then also interview prep. And then finally, negotiations, because that's the end goal, right, is to land people in roles that they want to be in, but not just settling the moment they get that offer, but how to negotiate effectively uh, and be happy with your dream role or the role that you actually end up in. Well, I love it. I love it because that is a lot of what I do on a day to day basis is just like talking with people and and understand not just trying to place uh, like people in a job and just never talk to them or worry about it again. And I get paid and whatever. Uh, It's like, hey. What do you actually want? What is a what is a company that you know is interesting to you or an industry that's interesting to you? And like, yeah, and then the negotiations, understanding like, hey, what is not only the base salary, like what is, you know, their stock options, is their bonus, is there, you know, incentivized like bonus, like compensation, things like that. Um, what what got you to kind of what led you to start rise? Like, what was your career path before that, before really being like, hey, there's something here? Yeah. So what actually kind of led me to start Rise, it started in college. Um, As you know, we both went to Columbia. And when you get there, you either find out all the opportunities you have or you find out, you know, how much, you know, knowledge you lack in general as far as how to even pursue and understand what those opportunities look like. Uh, Mm -hmm. I remember finding searching for internships in college and trying to be able to stay in New York for summers. And I discovered the CCE Center, uh, and that's uh, Columbia's Career Education Center. And that place, I lived in there. But then I quickly realized how far behind I was as understanding how to even create a resume, how to do a job search, how to interview effectively. And once I really started to get crisp on that, I was like, okay, like 
but I'm not the only one who doesn't know these things. And I started helping people back home. I was editing resumes for friends and family back home in Akron, Ohio. And I just wanted everybody to have that information because I knew how much of an eye opener and a game changer it was for me to know that. And I didn't want to wait till I was in a successful role to do that. And so I started helping people back home. And then after college, uh, I've, I've had a lot of jobs. I worked in sales and marketing because I really needed a way to pay for college. I mean, pay for my life in New York. And I wasn't mm -hmm. in the field that I wanted to be in and then navigated to marketing. And then after interviewing, doing a lot of negotiations, uh, I felt like I really had a handle on how to do that and navigate different spaces and industries. And I said, okay, let me, let me make this a full-time or not a full-time, a part-time, uh, job and so that's when i started rise i said okay i'm gonna try and be a lot more professional uh and really start building up websites start building out content and really getting an action plan on how to make this more accessible for everyone totally yeah i love i think there's i think everyone can kind of or a lot of people can kind of uh i know i can relate to that you get to college it's like cool i made this huge accomplishment all high school like you try and get to college is like the end goal and you don't need a resume or anything for that but then once you're once you're there, they're like, well, you should have a resume. It's like, well, how do I, you know, now it's, you know, relatively easy to create a resume through all the templates and stuff. But 10 years ago, it's like, how do I start a resume? Like, I just need the formatting. Like Microsoft Word is so hard to get this line in here and everything and, uh, and, and being able to, and it's like, well, what do I even put on a resume? I mean, like I've been a caddy for 10 years. Uh, do I just, it's like Tom Callahan, like caddy, uh, all-star caddy <laughs> and he's like, okay is this gonna help me land a land a like investment banking internship i don't i don't think so i mean and you make great points right that with there i mean i don't know if you remember but when we reported to camp they made us report to camp with a resume right and I, you know what i had on there pack sun and abercrombie and fish <laughs> <laughs> i don't know standing with you know my shirt unbuttoned uh <laughs> Trish Spray and Cologne was really going to land me in my dream marketing job. But that kind of just let me know where how far behind I was from day one. And yeah. how do I how do I even navigate this place? And that's like I said, that's what kind of put me on the path. Yeah, it's intimidating. Um, that's funny. I actually when I was in high school, I we took a football trip up to Mall of America um, and did like a you know summer camp there. And then I we went went to the Hollister store and I got dared uh, to just go take my shirt off and stand out there like one of the models. And uh, <laughs> there's a picture of it somewhere of a 16 year old Tom Callahan getting, getting kicked out of mall of America by security. They're like, they're like, you can't have your shirt off here. I'm like, well, this guy's got his shirt off. He's like, yeah, he works here. I'm like, I know I'm trying to apply for a job at Hollister. And I'm like, you know, I'm six foot three, 275 pounds. Not a good, not a good looking Hollister guy, but oh, uh, I was like, yeah, it got some laughs from the, from the team. And more importantly, got some laughs from the coaches. Um, but yeah, I, it is, that should be a whole another show is talking like high school jobs what jobs you had in high school just oh, to, to get by yeah it was rough i mean imagine you know being a football guy and then all your friends are coming to the mall and they see you in thong sandals with your shirt unbuttoned and your facial hair shaved off they're coming flipping t-shirts and oh yeah. man it was, <laughs> hey it paid for prom that's all I yeah can say. 
There you go. Yeah, it's a means to an end at the end. It's a job at the end of the day. You know, it's it's not a job you want to hold forever. Um, and it, it gives you it shows you what you don't want, I guess, in life. Um, oh, which is very quickly. Yeah. Um, and and with Rise, like, how did you how did you go about um, you know, kind of like getting people to to come to you for resume advice? And were these you know, was it a lot of referrals? Were you getting like people that you had never met? Were they eventually kind of reaching out to you? Yeah. So. Actually, it was exactly that. By the time I really decided to make Rise an official thing, I had helped so many people, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so I encouraged them. I reached back out to a lot of people and said, "Hey, I'm making this official. Uh, so sorry, no more freebies, but it's going to be cheap either way. Still, yeah. But can you tell everybody that hey, uh, Jerry Mingo's doing this? And so I started making content, made an Instagram page, Facebook page, made a website, made a LinkedIn page. Um, try to rely on my SEO background, uh, marketing background to really kind of build that up to make it official and then getting feedback uh, and trying to understand, you know, I, when, it, when it's time to make it official, the challenge for me was thinking about how to really start educating people because before it was more about people who knew that they were behind mm-hmm. and that they knew they had an issue with their resume and trying to land the job. So they were coming to me. But it was a big difference when I, when it turned into me going after people and saying, hey, I'm marketing to you versus, you know, word of mouth. But yeah. that was the biggest challenge early on. Got it. And, and you know, with you mentioned like the SEO, like, did you find a lot of success with like, were you getting people and like, what did you, how, were you able to like grow revenue where you could be like, hey, this, this could be like, this could be my sole job or it's like, hey, this is going to be a, a side, you know, a side gig or, you know, something where it's like, I want to get paid for my time, but I also want to help people out, especially, you know, not overcharging and helping people who, you know, probably don't have five, $600 for a resume service, but, but like they do want to pay you for your, for your time and expertise and things like that. Yeah. So it was, it was always going to be a side thing. Uh, for me, yeah. uh, I knew the prices I could charge, you know, mm-hmm. you can charge four hundred dollars to work with a client. Uh, because totally. in the end, like you're helping them land. I mean, for some of my clients, you're talking 150 to 200 K plus jobs. Right. So they pay me three, $400. That's nothing. But that wasn't my goal to only help those clients. Those people can benefit from it, but I was charging $50 a resume. Uh, and I really wanted it to scale out and be attainable for people who really need it. Uh, mm-hmm. My main focus was working back home and, you know, trying to educate people on how to properly do that because now the internet is there and resume templates are everywhere. And as, you know, simply as it is, resume templates aren't enough. Um, right. And they don't really teach you how to tell your story effectively and concisely uh, and really resonate with the role you're applying to. So there's a lot of nuance there that, you know, a template can help you get a structure very quickly, but you don't know how that structure relates to the industry or role you're applying to. You don't know mm-hmm. how to really your work effectively still you still have to put the words on the paper and that's the biggest challenge and so i knew that educating people to say hey you really need to think sit down and think now that you break into a market where you're looking for higher paying roles you know it's not the abercrombies anymore it's not the factory jobs if you're really trying to break out into you know a leading industry then you really need to have an effective resume and you know i wanted to make sure that everybody had at least the opportunity to learn how to do those things. And then comes the interview. And even that was still, is still cheap. Like that's hundred dollars for an hour session to really sit down and help you tell your story. And once again, just 
in those higher paying roles. So it's just making it accessible, but also getting paid for my time. So it's always going to be a side thing. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think you bring up an awesome point with telling a story. It's like, that is so important. It's like a resume can land you the interview, but it's like, Hey, once you're, once you're in that interview, like you need to be able to tell me what it is you do and why you do it. It's like, yes, I can read it, but like, I want to hear it from you. I want to know how you communicate. It's like, are you someone that I want to, you know, be speaking with, you know, for 60 hours a week, five days a week, like for, you know, potentially the next five, 10 years, like, um, you know, is, is this someone that's going to fit this, this company? Like, um, yeah, telling storytelling is huge. I think in every aspect, I think it's like, it is one of the most valuable skills you can have if you're good at it. Um, and I'm sure you probably got some of that through sales jobs as well, being able to storytell, um, and then, you know, turning that into a business. Um, I know I, I love telling stories and, you know, you gotta, you embellish some stuff, but it's all based around the truth. Uh, and it's, it's, it's fun for me. I'm like, this is, I love doing it. So, yeah. And that's honestly what it was. I love helping people. I love, you know what it is? Like, I can't say it's all like altruism or anything like that. I love when people like I have so many people now who just message me like, Jeremy, I got a job or Jeremy, I got an energy interview like that. Like that makes my day, man. Or like, yeah, uh, even more recently, uh, I was helping someone through negotiations and they're just like, I got 20K more or I got 10K more, 5K more, whatever, more. <laughs> you know, like, it's just like, I'm yeah. helping someone feel comfortable and happy about where they're moving on to next because that's a big moment right like it's it's you you it's change and change is uh uncomfortable sometimes and helping people through that is really exciting for me and helping people transition and level up and you know storytelling has been important for me i'm a psych major who is a data scientist right that is about <laughs> that's you know i took uh statistics for psychologists in college yeah <laughs> I didn't take a lot of math classes in school. So really kind of, you know, being uh, honest about my background and how I've navigated to space has really helped me help others. And that's kind of what I've been doing. Yeah, I think that's important, like not letting your whatever like degree you got in college or if you didn't have a college degree, it's like that doesn't determine the rest of your life. It's like what's going to determine the rest of your life is like your your interests and where, you know, where you put the work in and the effort and the time um, and being able to to handle that and, and then tell the story of like, hey, yeah, this is this is what I majored in. Here's what I learned and how I transitioned that to this new field that I'm that I'm trying to break into or that I have broken into. Um, I think it's important. And, you know, with your career, like starting in sales and marketing and then now, you know, you're a data analyst. And now you're a data scientist. Like you don't see that transition, that type of career transition a lot. Like how did that kind of come to be? I guess like you know, I'm sure probably taking a lot of your own advice and putting it, you know, putting, put your money where your mouth is. Um, but you know, it's a, it's an un, you know, not a very linear or like a very untraditional type of background that you have. Yeah. And I mean, I faced that question from friends, from family, my, my dad, he just, he couldn't understand it. He was just like, what are you doing? He was like, you got a new job every week. Like you're <laughs> nice with your life. You know, you're thinking you went to Columbia and you can't stay in one place. You know, so for me, it was about understanding what I really wanted and not being afraid to try things and go against the grain as far as how long I'm willing to sit and be unhappy. And also not even just happiness, because uh, there were some jobs I loved, like my sales crew, oh man, like, as you know, like sales teams, you can have a blast. Yeah. And I was smiling and dialing deals, 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 you know what I'm saying? So it was, uh, 
it was more so about understanding the direction I wanted to go in. And, and once I found out a role didn't align with that, it was about moving on and, and finding an opportunity that helps me figure out what I want to do next. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, when I joined sales, that was a means to an end. I, I finally had the opportunity to work in marketing, which I was super passionate about, but I found out, you know, the biggest agencies in New York didn't pay enough to, meet you, to live in New York. So I had to delay that. And once I got into marketing, I got really frustrated with data teams. I wanted to make yeah. decisions and they were giving me two week ETAs for simple data pools. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try and do this myself. I understand also there comes pay with that, but I wanted to take more ownership of my work and have more control over the decisions I made. And so I taught myself how to code. Uh, the first language I learned was SQL. And on the internet, you know, there's a lot of junk and I waded through a lot of junk, but I found some great stuff. And if it was free, it was for me. And yeah. the moment we got a data request, I raised my hand. said, hey, maybe we don't wait for the data team for two weeks. Let me run this. And, you know, it was a lot of pushback. Like, hey, like, you're the marketing guy. You're an account manager guy. Like, you don't know how to run queries. And after a while, they were just like, okay, like, let's, he's not going to shut up about it. Like, let's give him a chance. And then after a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, they were just like, okay, like, we don't need the data team. Jeremy's our data person now. And I remember... Um, there was an issue with our data pipelines and I, I went to question our, our head uh, one of our engineers and he he double tanked. He was like, aren't you a marketing sales or whatever guy? And I was just yeah. like, yes. And he was like, and you found this? And I was like, yes. And he was just like, oh, wow. Okay. And then just kind of like walked off, but he was surprised that I knew that there was issues with the data and things were missing, but it all came from me raising my hand and, you know, I, I played, I was crushing video games, man. I was, I was playing like five hours a night. And then I was like, okay, well, let me study how to code for two hours before I touch my Xbox. Mm -hmm. And that's how it just snowballed from there from SQL to Python to, you know, really learning machine learning and automation tools. Like it, it just took off. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I don't think, I mean, I kind of understood that, but I think, yeah, hearing, hearing you say that and put it in, it's like, yeah, it's like putting in the work and like, doing doing something because someone else isn't going to do it for you and like or they're going to take too long to do it or like hey i i need this i need this right now i don't have two days to to wait for you to do it or for you to do your job i'm gonna have to do your job for you and then hopefully i hopefully i go fucking take your job someday i don't know and it's uh yeah i i and it, i think it makes you a better salesperson too when you when you understand like the what you're actually selling is huge which i think so you know, really great salespeople do, but I think so many salespeople, there's like, I don't know. I just, I just get on the phone. I call who I'm supposed to call and I, and I tell them I'm selling this product and I don't really understand how it works or what it even does or what the company does and why it would be a good fit for them. I think just gets so overlooked because it's, because it's hard because it, it takes time to, to like do that research and the people that do, I think it pays off in, in massive dividends. Uh, and yeah. I remember you, when you were at offer pop because you had just graduated and i was working the front desk at, at the fitness center and i think you were like yeah i'm quitting my i'm quitting this job and it's just like i was like i was like oh man like i want to go into like sales like right after college and it's tough from columbia it's really tough to like get into they really help you with finance and like if you're not going into finance it is really hard to like get the help to like get into a different industry and sales or they're like, go to medical sales. I'm like, I don't want to do medical sales. Like it's like, just because medical sales makes the most money. It's like, I don't, here's, here's what I'm telling you. Like, I don't care about the money. I want to do something that's going to like, let me learn stuff early on, uh, which I think is so rare, <laughs> but it was, I was like, that's what I want. And I think it, you know, 
it, you figure it out. And I just remembered hearing, I'm like, Oh no, like, should I go into sales? Like, is tech, am I going to hate this? And then you're like, no, nah, go do something else and, and figure it out. But yeah. Um, and I think like you make a great point there too, right? Like people see the degree that we have in the school that we went to, but they don't, you know, I'm not going to say like we, we were struggling for, you know, networks or things like that, but right. there is difficulty there, right? Like we had the Columbia brand attached to us, but we're at those football alumni dinners and we have those info sessions. It's all finance and banking. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I even went to Bank of America's headquarters. I went to JP Morgan Chase info sessions. Like I did it all to try and be as open-minded about finance as I could. And I could not see myself in anything. And it, it was tough. And trying to find alumni or people who were in the spaces I wanted to be in. Who's working in marketing? Like wh- right. where, is that, where is that guy at? Uh, why isn't he here? How can I talk to him? How can I reach out to him? And I really had to put myself out there as someone coming from, you know, middle to lower class in Akron. It's like, I don't have this network to just tap into people. I have to, I had to take an internship back with Columbia's marketing division to try and get some marketing experience and then network with them and find out who their mentors were and then meet their mentors and then, you know, navigate that. That's kind yeah. of how I found out about marketing roles and navigating. But yeah, it was tough at Columbia. If you didn't want to work in finance, you were kind of on your own. It was like, all right, man, choose your own adventure. <laughs> it's tough. It's intimidating too. You know, when you're 19, 20, year old, 20 years old, and it's like the only people you can network with are, you know, managing directors of like hedge funds and stuff. I'm like, I have, man, I, I remember I went into one interview, like in CCE for like a quantitative analyst. I'm like, Hey, like oh, how the dude. hell did I land this interview? And they asked me like the question of, they're like, how many tennis balls can you fit in an airplane? I'm like, I don't, I don't fucking know. Like, why would that many tennis balls be in an airplane? Are these, does the airplane have seats? Like, is someone flying the airplane? What, how big of an airplane is it? <laughs> They're just like, that's, that's not how we need you to think. I'm like, well, that's how I think. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about the why. I'm not thinking in just like pure numbers. It's like, why, why is this, where is this, where's this plane going for tennis ball? Are these tennis balls packaged? Like, are they all just loose tennis balls? Um, it's uh, yeah, it was, it was, it's definitely intimidating and scary. And I think once you figure it out, I wish there was someone that was telling, you know, 21, 22 year old Tom, like, Hey man, like you'll be all right. Uh, Like, don't worry about like, don't get intimidated by all the finance talk around here. Yeah. And I I think like one of the things I tell my clients and like just friends and family in general, whenever you're doing something, uh, you just have to know your why. And when I say that, I mean, just understanding your approach and you understand the pros and cons of your approach. Uh, and you understand how that impacts you know, your decision-making and the outputs that you create and that you get from whatever you're doing. So mm-hmm. you just have to be confident in that. And it's tough to have that confidence, like you said, when you're young and like all of our networking events are for finance. It's like, should I be doing this? And it's like, I, I've tried, man. And I was just like, this is not for me. I've talked yeah. to everyone there is to talk to. I've, you know, and I just could not see myself in those roles. So it's just, it, you know, we had to really just sit down and be like, hey, like, it's not for me and I'll have to figure it out. And I can yeah. do that. Yeah. It's like you got to You learn to be scrappy. You learn to figure stuff out on yourself, which I think, you know, helps with, you know, living in like a little start. You know, for me, I'm like, it helps so much with living in the startup world of like, hey, not everything's just going to be like handed to you or like the next steps aren't going to be written clear down. It's like you're going to have to figure a lot of it out. Um, and I know you mentioned, you know, figuring out like pros and cons, things like that, like with with rise like 
you know, have you, what what have been the pros and cons? I know it's not like your sole income, things like that, but has there been times where you're, you're like, yes, this is, this is super great. I love that what I'm doing. And then are there other times like, man, did I bite off a little more than I can chew? Or like, "Ah," I was like, you know, it's tough to ask this, you know, family friend for, you know, 50 bucks to, to review their resume. But, but if I keep giving out freebies, I'll never take this off. Yeah. And, and, just to kind of get to that too, like the pros and cons of that and like really kind of taking that away was, yeah, like there were periods where I, where I bit off more than I could chew, right? Like it's ebbs and flows when you, you know, the one thing that ain't free and is never stopping for you is time. Uh, mm-hmm. And so with that, it was okay. There were flows where I'm dealing with, you know, a number of clients that I can't really handle at that time. Like how am I making my schedule uh, was super, how I make my schedule became super important. And mm-hmm. making sure I allocated time just to kind of breathe for a second. I was clocking out of work and then getting straight into a session and trying to bring that energy uh, as far as I'm really trying to help someone change their life. And that's that's a lot of pressure. And you want to be there for them. You get invested. And my sessions are an hour. And, yeah. you know, I have to really be locked in for an hour to help this person change their life. And then I have to roll and do it again. And then I have to do it again. And then, you know, I have regular life. I have to go back and think like, did I, what is my main job doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I going to eat today? Like I look up and it's just like, okay, I was gone by. Yeah. And that's like the challenge is just like, I get really invested and <laughs> you want to see people win. So when they tell you that an interview didn't go well, or when they tell you that an interview did go well, or that they even got an interview uh, for a role that they're really looking for, you know, like that's the first step you get so excited. And then you're thinking, okay, we got to sit down and lock in for this interview. I'm already thinking next steps, like it's me, you know, the game plan. And it's just like, you're so invested, but it can be draining just from regular day life. And just trying to find that balance between side hustle, main job and and your non-life. Like you're not, you're not the job, you know? Yeah. I think it gets tough, you know, cause it's like, you always hear people saying, Hey, you got to invest in yourself. You got to bet on yourself. And and then people are coming to you. It's like, Hey, I'm putting, you know, 50 bucks is a lot of money or a hundred bucks is a lot of money to a lot of people and saying like, I'm investing this in myself. I'm going to get help with Jeremy and rise and I want it to pay off. And, and it's like, that's a lot of pressure for you. Cause it's like, Hey, this person's paying me money. I need to make sure I'm doing a good job for them, um, which at the end of the day, it's like, that's what jobs are. Um, you know, it's like someone pays you to do a good job. You you need to do a good job or else you don't have that job anymore. Um, yeah. And even, and even with that, too, like to add to it, um, as I've kind of diversified my client base uh, and deal with kind of mid-season professionals and later stage professionals, the biggest challenge is when I get clients who are on visas. That's mm-hmm. pressure. Yeah. That's real pressure. Uh, I've had clients who've come to me and said, Jeremy, I have two months to be in the country. I need a job. Yeah. And so we have to game plan. And it's, that's pressure. And so you get really invested in that. And every interview, you're, you're, you're just waiting for feedback. How'd it go? Uh, you know, like, what did they say? What questions did they ask? How do you feel like you responded? Okay, well, if this one doesn't go well, well let's learn and iterate on how to better respond to those types of questions. Mm-hmm. And then you got to try and keep that energy up and stay positive for them too, because that pressure is it's pressure for me, but it's real life for them. You know, like totally. it's, if I don't, if I bomb this interview, I'm, I'm leaving the country. Right. And that's kind of, uh, that's kind of something I've been dealing with. I would say like the past year is really uh, 
especially with the tech layoffs, you know, mm-hmm. like trying to help people stay energized because I don't want that seeping through in their interviews, but it's real life that in the back of their mind, while they're interviewing, they're thinking about, will I be able to stay in this country? Uh, because I got a month left. I got two months left. Yeah. And that's pressure. And that's something that, you know, that once again, like I'm really invested in that and I want to see them win. And I want that email, that phone call, that text, that Jeremy, I got the job. And it's just like, okay, now I can breathe easy. Now I'm on to the next client. You know, you got to celebrate those wins, but then the ball keeps bouncing. Yeah, man. You like pretty much just described what I do every single day for the past seven years. It's just like, that's, that you'd be a great recruiter, man. Uh, like that's, that's your job. I mean, except rather than like the person whose resume you're talking to paying you, it's like you get companies that, that pay you. And um, yeah, it's, it's really hard when you, when you talk with someone who you've built this relationship with, especially, yeah, especially those that are on work visas and it's like, Oh, we're in a time crunch here. And, you know, and, and, you know, when people are in a time crunch, the employer, our potential employer knows that and they'll try, you know, they try and lowball offers and things like that. And it's like, Hey, like, it's, it's like, you know, I take pride and it's like, no, like you're, this is, this is what you're budgeted for this role, whether this person's a U.S. citizen, green card holder, H1B, like you need, you need to pay them the same amount. It's like, Hey, because H1B is going to call it like that person's probably sending money home, like, you know, wherever they're from. And it's like, they need, they actually need probably quite a bit more money um, than someone that has grown up in the United States and hasn't moved 50 miles in their whole life. Like it's, uh, you know, it's, it is like, you do feel the pressure, especially as you, you know, after the first phone call and then you get on, you, you, you're, you know, you're talking with this person two to three times a week for, you know, months sometimes. And it's like, this is like, I know this person, I know who they are. I know I like, they trust me and I need to perform for them. Um, yeah. It's, it's like it's exhilarating. And then man, when a deal closes, you're just so ecstatic. Like you're just like, wow, like not even about the money. You're just like, that's awesome. Like this person's so happy. And you know, I know I've received like thank you cards in the mail and shit like that. I'm like, this is really cool. This is really cool. Yeah, like I mean, it's 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 funny, man. You don't realize how much it impacts you until it happens. Yeah. Like when I see a random phone call from someone, I'm like, All right, hello? I'm like, Jimmy, I got the job. I'm just like. Like you can, <laughs> like it, it really hits, you know, it really hits. So that's kind of, um, yeah, that's something that kind of comes with it. But it, yeah, like I said, it's, it's pressure. You feel it. Yeah. It kind of, it puts you in a little better mood too. Um, it's great. Um, and then, yeah. Have you, you know, I guess, you know, talking about like the, the work-life balance and stuff, like have you, how have you found like a good balance between, you know, your day job and then, you know, running this on the side and then, yeah, having a social life and all the snowboarding and uh, food eating that you like to do. Yeah, I would say um, you just kind of you have to be you have to be real with yourself as far as when you're feeling burnt out, when you're feeling stressed. Uh, you can ask my wife, like I always say, like, oh, like, oh I'm not stressed. Like uh, I always try and think of, you know, real life situations where like it could be a million times worse. Like I'm working two mm-hmm. jobs. Have a good job like i'm fine and it's just what do i have to be stressed about like this isn't i get to have this second job because i have a skill set that allows me to do the work uh and so it's you know but you have to be honest and say like i'm not superman like i can't just keep burning at both ends so i'll uh, there are some weeks when i can tell that my nine to five is light i'll, I'll increase my hours because the thing that's tough is when I do get stressed and I say, okay, I need to cut back. It's coming from the side job. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that 
the people who I'm helping, they have less opportunities to work with me. And that's something I, you know, that I also think about when I cut my hours, I know it's impacting somebody on the other end yeah. and they're trying to get on my schedule. Um, you know, like there are periods where I, I can tell when people are stressed, they're like when the job market is, is, you know, getting tight is I'll put my hours up and next, you know, I'm booked out for a couple of weeks and it's just like, dang, like, okay. But I'm, but I'm looking at, I'm checking the names and I'll yeah. check the names. And if I don't see that, you know, somebody I've been working with who I know needs that job, if I don't see their name in my, my schedule in the next week or two, I'm just like, hey, do I open up, you know, and try and see if they can get another slot or do I kind of reach out to them and say, hey, are you okay? Like, it's like that. Once again, like you get invested and yeah, trade-offs of my men- making sure I'm there for them mentally and I can be there for them. Uh, because if I'm burnt out and I'm trying to bring that energy, it may not go well. Uh, yeah. And I'm making sure that I'm giving them my best self, but I can't do that if I'm burnt out. Yeah, I think that's, I think, you know, time management and being realistic with it is is huge. And I think it's totally come to light, especially with, you know, you know, a lot of work shifting to remote work, where I think early on in COVID, it was very norm. It's like, well, you're not doing anything. So why do, why can't you answer this email at 6am and then also at 10pm and get on Zoom calls at midnight? It's like, well, I'm a human, man. Like I need to, I need, I need some time to sleep. I need to eat and I need to go like get exercise somehow. And I think I, that is something I learned pretty early on. It's just like, I'm pretty strict. I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't touch my laptop before 8 45 AM, like pretty much any morning, whether whatever I'm like, I get, if I can do it from my phone, great. Like I'll do it from my phone and I can, I can handle this if it needs to be done. And I'm like, you know what, if it's truly urgent, like someone will give me a phone call. Like it's not meant to be sent in an email. Um, like I get kind of like taking that mindset, but I'm like, you know what? I need this. I need this for myself. Um, and yeah, someone else can, because someone else is five hours ahead of me, I just need to answer them at all hours of the night is kind of like, yeah, it doesn't really, don't really work for me like that. So, um, and yeah, and I'm sure I probably text them in the middle of the night and I'm like, Hey, I know that it is, it is 2am for you right now, but I'm not expecting a, I'm not expecting a reply back, but I want you to see this in the morning. So then when I wake up again, you know, tomorrow morning, you'll have seen it, you'll have responded and boom, I can do my action items. Yeah. And it's just about building up that cadence and then, yeah, like yeah. protecting like your mental and your peace and like understanding once again, like you're not a Superman, but you, you have to, it's about respecting. You have to set that respect level with your team, your company, whatever you're doing and yourself, like you have to respect yourself first. And say, this is the time I've allotted to this. And this is the time I need for myself. And just being firm in that. And sometimes it's hard to be firm. And sometimes you have to bend either way and say, okay, maybe I need more time for work. Maybe I need more time for myself this week. But you have to, once again, like you have to be real with yourself and be flexible. Uh, But you set the standard. And your standard is standard. And everyone has different standards. Uh, But it's all about knowing yourself and being honest. Yeah. And then bringing your best self to the table when you are ready to collaborate and work with others. Cause it's like, you know, no one wants to work with the person that's like, Oh, I'm so stressed and I'm so busy. It's like, well, like, do you like, why, if that's the way that you started this meeting, like, well, you kind of just ruined the whole energy here. Um, and make, and you make me feel like I'm not worth your time. It's like, uh, yeah. Like what are we doing here? If, if you don't want to be here. So, um, yeah, it's, I think that goes for a lot of life in general too. Uh, but 
um yeah man this has been this has been fun um i want to talk food with you I, i'm done talking work i want to talk food uh and we'll we'll keep it brief do that for forever um okay so you were just on a cross-country road trip from seattle to you you drove right yeah my yes. wife and i drove i will give her credit she did most of the driving i think i did well in the end we both drove to maryland separately because she had to go to somewhere else but uh so, but we drove from Seattle to Akron, Ohio. That's about 35 hours. I would say she did 20, I did 15. Last that last day, um, I got a little sleepy. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> and the tacos in Chicago kind of put me down, but uh <laughs> yeah, but she she cruised us some hours, but it was um first day was light, Seattle to Montana. Um we stopped in uh Bozeman, spent the night there, but nice. We, we were like, Seattle made me like a coffee snob. So I was stopping everywhere for coffee. Spokane has some decent coffee. Uh, Missoula, uh, where University of Montana is, is pretty mm -hmm. cool. And Billings, <clears throat> Billings, Montana was actually, they had some amazing coffee. I bought a whole bag. <laughs> <clears throat> it was like kind of some of the things that you expect, right? Like just the Great Plains, big sky country. It's amazing. Like it's yeah. one of those beautiful places I've ever seen. Uh, but like, yeah, outside the coffee shop, there's like a dude with his feet kicked up talking about like his farm you know somebody you know you're in the middle of nowhere when everyone's talking about like their land and you know totally. our land, or my my property it's like oh okay like and yeah. talk about the temperament of sheep and stuff like that i was like <laughs> i think that's gonna be knowledgeable for me but sure you go wrangle <laughs> yeah different worlds it's different worlds it's like yeah you own this uh you know you own this three three acre plot of land i own this 850 square foot apartment in a building with 90 other apartments it's like i, was, uh, I don't even own this apartment i don't even own the land yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm just and i'm just renting <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean i don't see any sheep running around here so yeah. uh yeah so that was it was great i mean and it's funny you know like being in places where the speed limit is 80 and so i'll let oh, you know yeah. We were in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you went through South Dakota, I imagine. Uh, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> uh, stopped in the Badlands, uh, had some conversations with some prairie dogs. Uh, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, had some amazing coffee in uh, South Dakota as well. We stopped in Sioux Falls uh, and had some good coffee there. Uh, so yeah, we were just, and then we were really looking forward to the food in Chicago. Yeah, uh, so, it keeps uh, you going. Because you go, yeah. like, it is like, once you, like, leave, like, the West Coast and then, like, Chicago's kind of like, especially like that, you know, when you're going through Montana, South Dakota, I think I had one of the worst tacos of my life in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I'm like, damn, man, this, uh, I was Where'd not expecting go? much, but I don't know. I got to look back at the records, but. Okay. Uh, Cause it was, um, oh geez. I had to look, it was, yeah, it was someplace that people were like, oh yeah, Sioux Falls tacos. And it was late night. I was like, yeah, I just need food. Uh, yeah. but, uh, it was the Mole uh, Fest in Chicago. Uh, so yeah. it was single de mole or something like that. It, they were calling okay. it. It was and listen, man, uh, some mole tacos. Change again. Um, that you recommend it, man. The mole tacos were. Yeah, I haven't yeah. had those from station, but yeah, El Milagro. You went right. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's, that's a classic. Amazing. And they got the tortilla factory right next to it. Oh man, listen, and the fact that like those tacos have some weight on them. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> really it's a whole like chunk of steak. Up. Yeah. It's I never had tacos where they just like they just throw it on. I'm like, 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it didn't look <laughs> that great. You know, I was just like, I was like, all right. But, you know, past the vibe check, you know, you look around. It's like, all right. A lot of Spanish speakers around here. You walk in, Spanish, all right, a little grime. Yeah. Food, you're like, you see it, you see it, you're like, all right, maybe we own something here. And I, yeah. I was like, no, Tom wouldn't steer me wrong. So <laughs> even when I'm yeah. looking at the tacos, I'm like, are these really it? I mean, as soon as I ate it, I said, okay, we back in business. <laughs> the taste is there. It's like Chicago food. I'm like, it's not the prettiest food out there, but man, does it taste delicious. It's like. Not- I yeah. try and tell people about like the Mexican food in Chicago and they don't believe me. They're like, Chicago? I'm like, yes. Dude, yeah. Like Pilsen and then like the Southwest side of Chicago. It's like, they, you know, they, they're good. It's, it's really good Mexican food. Uh, there's a huge Mexican population. I think outside of like San Diego and Los Angeles, it's like the most in the U S or in Chicago. I know. I had to look it up. I was like, yeah. All right, like a couple of cities in Texas, California, you expect. And then it's Chicago's just there. I'm like, What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, what's up in Chicago? It's like, it's cold as shit. Uh, the, the, the climate is totally different, but yeah, it, it's great. I love it. It's, it was great. Like growing up, having that experience of like good Mexican food and then, and then moving to Southern California, I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Mexican food's on a, another level down there. Um, Listen, we have had many taco conversations about LA. Uh, yes. I mean, Lincoln and Rose out there in Venice. That's Yeah. Those guys are great outside the Whole Foods. Yeah. And outside that Whole Foods, I've, I've driven uh, I've driven from Pasadena with Markel. Uh, that's a drive. <laughs> yeah, that's way too far. Dude, you passed so many good taco spots. Oh, uh, now he, he's an Angels enthusiast out there now. So, I mean, it's way closer. Angels, Angels. yeah. I've heard good things about Angels. No, yeah. they're legit. And then now there's a 1986 out there. Uh, so, yeah. I'm Listen, I like I said, man. When, I, when we moved to Seattle, we we're like the weather, the food. Oh yeah, we're out. So we were just going <laughs> to LA, and like I set up camp out in Pasadena. I have a whole routine when I go to his house. So like That's it's, awesome. <laughs> I know, yeah. Pas- and like Pasadena, like man, I've been to Pasadena one time for the Rose Bowl, and I'm like, I was like, man, I can't believe he lives, you know, out there. And but I'm like, the food scene, it's it's gonna be good still. Like yeah, yeah, it definitely is. But we, yeah. I mean, oh man, we stopped one night. We were we were we were looking for tacos really late, uh, and see these guys on the corner, and I'm just looking at him. Guy, we walk up, we see him. He's like, he's cooking, and we're looking at the food. All right, dude, just straight up hands me a taco, no glove, and I look at him like, I'm like, he's so confident with the way he's stacking up this taco, and like he hands it to me, it was immaculate. I was. I don't know. I don't know if his hand has some extra sauce on it, but like no glove just handed it to me. Yeah. Something it's like you don't even care that they were just like that you just saw them like pick up raw meat and put it on and that give you a time, like whatever. Like, you know, I've I've um, eaten worse things. Uh it, um, your stomach gets used to it. <laughs> um I was just like, I woke up that morning, like, thank God I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like pop, pop a couple tums and then you'll be all right. Yeah, you know, you'll sleep yeah, through it, it was um, yeah. that's funny um awesome man well this has been fun um glad we got some food talking as well and i know we could probably do a whole hour podcast on just food uh, if you look at jeremy and i's instagram dms or text messages it's pretty much just pictures of food and being like oh yeah this this looks bomb uh yeah <laughs> uh, but 
Uh, Jeremy, I'll let you, you know, plug anything, wrap up, um, you know, anything you want to plug where people can find you, um, things like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, as I said, the company is called Rise Career Development. Uh, if you're looking to transition, if you're looking to level up, uh, just change your life, honestly. Um, that's what we do, uh, or that's what I do. Uh, so uh, risecareerdev.com is where we're at, uh, at Rise Career Development on Instagram and LinkedIn and in Facebook. So we're trying to be everywhere uh, and everyone. And like I said, it's all about making it accessible. That's why we charge the prices that we do and, and really just try and make it happen for everybody and share that knowledge because resume templates aren't enough. Awesome. Love it. Um, Thanks for joining Jeremy. This was a great conversation and uh, hope uh, you enjoy the episode. (laughs) All right.